Welcome to the Urban to Country Podcast, where we talk to outdoor enthusiasts about life, hunting, and how to make everyday epic. podcast which like i don't know that just feels it feels weird it feels uh surreal super surreal and i don't know why i should because we've already recorded when i say we i mean i i've already recorded four several yeah four or five so this is some reason for some reason when you just said we're gonna kick off my first a rent a country podcast. I was thinking of a theme song to start singing, and for some reason, the like do 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 Batman cued <laughs> <laughs> my head, and then I I'll kind of had man. then I kind of had the Jaws soundtrack, but more so the Batman. Anyways, do 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 urban country. Well, now that you bring it up, uh, we do want to give a shout out to Pansky who is the artist that did the theme music for the podcast. And a uh, super cool dude, so I'll put the links hey to his Pans- stuff. Hey, Pansky, you're the Mansky. <laughs> he is a super cool dude. So it was, I was, when I was, you know, doing some of the production work for the podcast, I wanted to have some theme music that I really felt like I connected with. And I was listening to a lot of music all over the place. And I found this one song of his. And as soon as I heard it, it's the song that I used for the intro. And I, I just thought that's it. Like that's the one I want because it really connected with me. So, but you just said Batman connected with you. So potentially we could have a Batman reel too. We, I think there might be some copyright issues. (laughs) with that. We did not just say, we said the man that bats, not... That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting. I never... Like, when I first decided that I wanted to do this, I thought, oh, I'll just go find some music. And then I started researching. And no, there's, like, all this... There's so many people. One, where did you find him? I found him on... Was it oh SoundCloud? Gosh, I'm pretty SoundCloud? sure it's SoundCloud. Okay. Uh, but he's also on Spotify. Okay. And sorry, dude, if this is wrong, but I think he's on iTunes Music as well. There's so many people out there doing such cool things. Not, yes. Not to mention you. Oh, well, thank you. Doing something cool here. Yeah. But. Yeah. So his links will all be in the show notes. So if you want to check him out, super cool dude. You're doing a really unique style of music, which I really liked. So. Cool. Yeah. Um. Usually for the podcast, I will have a guest on. I don't want to do a lot of solo runs, but tonight I thought I'd sit down with my favorite person in the entire world, which is (laughs) my wife, Anna. And the reason I wanted to sit down with you tonight was as I started building out this podcast and thinking about why I wanted to do a podcast and why, you know, this medium and, and at this time in my life. I thought you'd be a really good person because you've been a part of my life for so long and we could kind of break down who I am for people and why I'm doing a podcast and, you know, a little bit of my journey. And 
Peel yeah. back the layers. <laughs> <laughs> well, and one thing I'm finding out is the people that I like talking to really break me out of my shell. Oh. I know. Amazing. But I had a I had two two people in particular that I already recorded podcasts with that were just super, super cool people. And it was an easy conversation. It flowed. It wasn't it wasn't hard and, and so I don't know, uh I don't know if it's just that I'm more comfortable around people that I connect with or these people are just so amazing that they, you know, make me more talkative. I don't know. Well, you're doing, you're making this podcast happen. So I, I would think to do a podcast, you'd have to be talkative or, or feel <laughs> like you have something worth sharing. So not only are you feeling comfortable and feeling like you're hitting your stride, but, you know, giving other people the platform and the freedom and the space to do the same. Yeah. Well, and I'm not doing this podcast because I think I'm anything special or interesting. I've just, in this journey of getting to where I'm at today, I've run into so many fascinating and interesting people that really have shaped me and and shaped my journey. And uh, I just, I don't know, I felt like they needed to be, they needed to be shared with the world because they offer some really, they've offered some really cool things to me and I think they offer some really cool things to the world. So it's not that I'm bringing myself to whoever listens to this, but I want to bring my friends and these other people. You want to facilitate. Yeah. So is that, I, and I guess this actually jumps us into the conversation perfectly. In my first question for you would be where and when did your desire to create a podcast begin? Like where did it begin? Was Was there a certain catalyst? And, or do you remember that moment or that period of time, I mean, because you, I, really, in the last year, actually, no, you've been talking about doing a podcast for a while, but you're you're making it happen. So, what what was it that made you want to do it? Yeah, um, I think just as I thought about how to better share this journey that I'm going on and do it in a way that's accessible to the most people, and across the most platforms possible uh i i guess ex- how to expand the reach mm-hmm. of of the story that i'm sharing i started thinking about more writing and photography is a huge part of documenting that journey but uh, i was really thinking a lot about writing and i i feel like i'm a competent writer mm-hmm. i feel like i can you know, tell a story through writing, which I I really enjoy, but it was hard to kind of, how do you, how do you spotlight other people in that, you know, and how do you, how do you do it in a way that is really engaging to people who are busy, who maybe don't like reading because it's a society with the ease of television and podcasts. We, we don't, and Instagram Instagram. quick, quick fixes. Yeah. We don't we don't sit down to to read a lot. Not that we don't, but it's just not. It's it's not the primary thing for a lot of people, at least in the circles that I run in. So, I, uh, yeah, I was just listening to a podcast probably about a year and a half ago, and I listen to a ton of podcasts. I I run through probably two or three a day, um, and I just thought 
this is how I want to do it because I can have a conversation and record it and I'm meeting all these fascinating people. It's a perfect way to to have them share with other people the things that they're sharing with me and teaching me. And I thought this is this is it now. That's from so rad. from the moment that I had that thought <laughs> to sitting down here tonight, a lot happened, <laughs> and I had to get you know I had to check my ego at the door, and I had to get a couple of kicks in the pants to get me me going. Um, and man, it was the first one I did was terrifying, just absolutely terrified me, because I thought well, shoot, like, what if nobody wants to listen to this? Or what if I can't have this conversation or all these different things? And finally, I just, I was listening to a podcast called The School of Greatness with Lewis Howes. Phenomenal podcast. And they were talking on there. And his guest was talking about why people don't do the things they love. He's like, how many of you out there are thinking, man, I should start a podcast and you're not doing it. And it hit me that was me. Like I was, I had this idea for this podcast and I wasn't doing it. Mm. And that was, that was, I remember that very distinctly. Um, that really motivated me. And I said, well, if nothing else, I'll record all these great conversations and my kids can listen to it years down the road. Well, and that was something I just thought of too, while you were talking is what I think is so cool about podcasts in general but especially the podcasts that the reason behind your why right is is capturing these these great people and the impact they're having in in the field of outdoor recreation conservation etc etc but the thing that is so cool to me about this is how you're capturing all of these oral histories because all of us here we we all have a mortality, right? And we're not going to be on this earth forever. And you are capturing all of these incredible people and including yourself. I mean, you, you as you just said, you know, if nothing else, it's for the family for a keepsake, right? Like, right. Um, I'm totally geeking out right now. I'm thinking about my one of my favorite college courses, which was uh, Introduction to Folklore, which was all about collection, collecting oral and written histories. And I mean, this is contemporary folklore. Yeah. And I mean, everybody's got a story to tell, whether it's the homeless man on the corner or your boss or your great aunt Tildy or whoever it is. Like everybody's got a story. Everyone's got an aunt Tildy. Everyone has that crazy aunt that you see at reunions. Shh, you and can't say these things. Family is going to listen to this. We don't have any crazy family. We don't have any crazy family members. Nope. But family, you know I, we love you. You're all fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> we might be your crazy family members. Yeah, <laughs> if you don't know who the crazy person in the room is, it's probably you. <laughs> At least yeah, our family would say, if you don't know who the strange person in the room is, oh, it might be us. That's, oh, <laughs> strange joke. Yeah. Oh, my oh. Gosh. But that was one of the things, like just talking about how everybody has a story, that was one of the things that, was a, a real motivator. Um, I was meeting all these really cool people. And like I said, the, the outdoor and the hunting community has been so welcoming to this very urbanized uh, kid from Pennsylvania. And, um, and when I say Pennsylvania, I don't mean like the mountains of Pennsylvania, like definitely not how I grew up. Um, we would 
go camping and, and hiking and whatnot from time to time. But definitely I was way more into sports. And so when I, I came out here and started working in, in Montana, um, just incredible people who were so kind, so understanding, very welcoming, and just willing to share. I mean, I'm thinking of mm-hmm. my friends Casey and Dakota and Chris, um, just like right off the bat, just th- people that shared things with me. Um, Dan and... Yeah, Dan and, I mean, uh, my coworker Nick and all these people who have just either shown me hunting spots like that that blows my mind how many people have been willing to help me find places to hunt and now i feel comfortable doing it on my own with things like onyx maps um and you know the montana fish wildlife and parks has an amazing mapping software to find places to hunt like it's it's so good so now i feel comfortable but in the beginning i didn't know what the heck i was doing i still don't know what the heck i'm doing but just to have people, you know, bring me along. Your brothers, like, let's not forget, you know, your brothers who took me out on my first hunts and helped me get my first, mm-hmm. my first deer. Like that. Yeah, they've been. They've been there with you for since the beginning. Well, yeah. they took you out before you. We even were Montana resident. Well, before you were a Montana resident. Yeah. And. Well, let and you do all. Let you. Let me. Let you do all. Yeah, let me do all the work. <laughs> But they taught you, right? Yeah, like that's absolutely. how how else are you supposed to learn unless you you jumped in and Yeah. Well yeah. and I think about that that first time I went hunting with your brother Isaac, I just you know, I didn't know what we were gonna be doing. He's, he said, Do you wanna go hunting? And I thought never been. Sounds kinda cool. No, my my uncle and my grandpa did it, so this'll probably be fun. I'll just go hike around in the woods and see some animals. And we uh we were elk hunting and it was it was magical it was incredible it was like something out of my mm-hmm. my childhood make believe um i felt like daniel boone to be quite honest like just walking out into the mountains and uh being the only person there it was it was life changing that experience and that stuck with me yeah. for for several years until I was able to finally, you know, make it part of my life. Yeah. Well, so you, you've talked a little bit about your urban background on the East Coast. Um, for those of you listening, I am a Montana native and uh, grew up in the area and found myself an East Coast boy in Marcus and totally converted him slash Marcus has become much more outdoorsy than I was ever in my youth and he is bringing taking me out of my shell and introducing me into the outdoors in a way that I have never even experienced it myself um so that being said what Besides the first hunt with um, my brother several years ago, like what is it that draws you to the woods, to the mountains? What have, where, how has that been? How has that experience filled you and changed you? 
You know, I as I've thought about that and thought about how to explain it, my first my first statement would be that it's not really something that I can really explain. Mm-hmm. It would be like trying to explain why you feel hungry or sad or mm-hmm. you know the catalyst but but what is it inside of you that's making you feel those emotions mm, that's deep yeah and and so when i think about why i feel drawn to to hunt or go into the mountains it's it's something that's part of me it's it's something that's for lack of a better term coded into my dna i think about being a little kid and i remember being 5 years old and at the particular house we lived in, there were woods. Where was this at? This was in Maryland. Okay. So it was right out uh, pretty close to to Baltimore. Okay. Um, and we, uh, we lived in a little suburb, nice little neighborhood. And I would go outside whenever the weather was, you know, permitting. And we made bows and arrows. And <laughs> we used to take... We used to take these uh, nails, pop the ends off, and stick them in sticks and then shoot them at each other. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Wait, so you would take nails, stick them in the end of sticks, and shoot them at each other? With our little homemade bows. Would they impale you? No, they they weren't going fast enough, and they weren't, we weren't like, we were five and six. We didn't know what we were doing. Okay, see, in my household, we, (laughs) actually, maybe I shouldn't share this. Too late, it's going. So, I grew up with siblings who would take tacks and put them in the ends of Nerf guns. (laughs) And so, we're talking about a (laughs) high-powered Nerf coming at you with a tack. Fortunately, none of those were ever shot at me. But, you know, there there was a time or two where an attack nerf See, might have gotten impaled in one of my brothers or two. Your brothers are much more mechanical than I am. <laughs> I wasn't smart enough to think about things like that. It was just stick, sharp object, throw it. <laughs> so maybe you have a little Neanderthal I in you. I do. Uh, uh, but, yeah, there's just always... It is always... part of your DNA, you said. Yeah. So. <laughs> did say that i think i'm gonna regret that (laughs) um but no it's just it was a draw like there's always this draw and we i would always find opportunities to immerse myself in natural spaces wild wild places like we would go visit my dad where he worked at this um at this boarding school and there were streams and woods on campus and we would go play in them and um i think I, i you know you when you're a teenager you you get distracted by other things. And so I think there was a time girls, girls, sports, <laughs> girls, sports. Uh, sports. Um, yeah. So I think I kind of lost that, but I remember from a very young age, um, like being drawn to the outdoors, finding a sense of wonder in the outdoors. Oh yeah. Just absolute wonder yeah. in, in the amazing, like I could sit and watch a stream forever. Yeah. Still to this day, I could just sit there and watch a stream. You have an old soul, Marcus. Well, and I, I think actually, I get... I think you have a peaceful soul. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. I like I like peaceful things. So, yeah. And I guess to answer the second part of your question, I think part of it's very natural. It's just something that's always been there. 
um, something that's been passed on, you know, from people like my grandpa, my grandpa was a, you know, uh, the superintendent of Pennsylvania state parks and a very avid and well-respected conservationist in his time in Pennsylvania. Um, and he passed on a lot of things to me, both I think genetically and also through his, his example and his words. So there's that part, but then also, um, I feel very strongly about being self-sufficient and doing things yourself. Um, health is a big uh, part of my life and, and being healthy and, 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 you know, pushing my body to see what it can do and see where, where those limits are. And so the outdoors are the best testing ground for that. Yeah, the best teaching, the best school. Yeah. You know, the, I'm thinking of things that you've said to me over our years together about your childhood and your interests. And it's interesting to hear you say that you feel like it's part of your DNA um, and that it's been something you've been drawn to. I mean, here you're talking about creating homemade bows and arrows. And, I, you know, I remember you saying that you you grew up reading Ranger Rick. He just, he's always, you've always been drawn to Westerns, to that Western United States wild frontier, Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, (laughs) John Wayne, um, Jeremiah Johnson. I mean, you've just been drawn to that and, and have kind of idolized and immortalized those, those Western heroes your whole life. And, and so I think that that's been something, you know, talking about it being part of your DNA, um, those things you are always things that you have wanted to explore. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think, um, I never, I never liked big cities. I never liked going to DC or Baltimore or Philadelphia. Like those were not, those were not places that I really enjoyed. I, I think about, you know, really fond memories and they all involve some kind of natural space, um, wild place that was, uh, that was just really calm, really peaceful and Mm -hmm. really, uh, really just spoke to me. And so, yeah, I would watch, I would watch Westerns and I would read about Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett Mm -hmm. and it, I don't know, it just seemed so idyllic and really just called to me. So yeah, when we, when I, when I moved to Utah to go to school, um, I think something else that really was transformative is we lived right next to the Wasatch front. I mean, we were Mm, so beautiful. Less than a a mile from the mountains. mountains. Yeah. We would go up to Sundance resort. Oh, we'd drive up the Alpine loop and see all the changing colors and just, yeah, we did some good camping down there too. Yeah. And it's hard when you're in school to, to really, which is sad. It's sad to me that it is that way. It's really, I think hard if you, if you want to be, you know, a straight A student and really throw yourself into your education, it's hard to pursue some of those things that 
are interesting to you as well because you have to you have to make choices. Personal interests, yeah. Yeah. Well, and not even that we were straight A students, but we were so busy. We were both working to put ourselves through school. We yep. both had full, huge credit loads. We were, you know, we were volunteering in a lot of different things. I, we just we had so much going on, and it was hard to. It's hard as a student to balance those things plus pursuing personal interests. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think too, for a while, I just really did what was quote unquote expected Mm, and, you know, go to school, get a job, buy a house, all these different, you know, like the social, not that we bought a house, but the social norms. The social norms. You're checking the boxes. Yeah. Checking the boxes. And I didn't, like, I, I can be very serious minded sometimes and I know. I know. And I think I let a lot of expectations dictate how I lived my life for so long. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I think I think the thing that really started kind of breaking me, breaking me down and getting me to the point where, you know, I, I made this transition to to hunting and fishing and working in conservation was when I graduated and I didn't have a job and it was mm-hmm. one of those moments like, well, shoot, like all these plans I just made down the toilet, like now what yeah. do I do? So, well, do you want to talk about your transition into conservation? Because I think that is the coolest story and not a story that a lot of people hear. In fact, I was just telling someone your story today and I mean, it's it's a story of perseverance, of some some like major hustle and drive and determination, and just like working your ass off to to manifest your life and to make it happen. So I think you should share. <laughs> I don't know how much time we have today. Oh, we got all the time in the world. Um, yeah. So I. Took well, let me back up. So the reason I didn't have a job when I graduated was because I had a job offer. But then he had the his his sugar mama. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but and I think well, and I do want to recognize you while we we're having this conversation. No, 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 no. I'm teasing. No, I know I know you are, but I do <laughs> want to recognize you while having this conversation that Goodness. you have been the best and the biggest supporter for me chasing my dreams and figuring out who I am. And I, I fully recognize that I couldn't be where I'm at today or have done the things I've done without your support. And that is incredible. Like I hope everyone has a partner that is as supportive of, uh, of me as you've been. You're totally making me terrible. Pretty incredible. Thank you. Um, okay. So I went to school, uh, studied political science, and I graduated with a political science degree with an emphasis on uh, national security issues. And I initially had a job offer from the FBI, which was incredible. 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 I remember that was November 2012. You got the offer, and we were like, our lives are mapping out perfectly. (laughs) We know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, we were checking the boxes. We were, we were checking. The, we're like, okay, sweet. We've got it figured out. Yep. Dun, yeah. Da, da, da. So, 
and that man, I could do a whole podcast on that whole experience. It was an incredible Ooh. experience, and and I would have polygraphing one hundred and one. Oh gosh, <laughs> yeah i I would have been I would have been very. I think I would have been very happy doing that job. I think it would have been a, a good job and a a much different life path than what I'm on now, but equally would. exciting and amazing. Yeah, but I okay. I'm well. I started saying it, so now I'm going to have to say it. So I, having seen you go through the journey that you have in the last, what, five years? No, oh, goodness. <gasps> We're getting old. Yeah, five, six years. Um, I'm I'm glad to see where you've landed. I think you're a happier person now than um, with less stress. But, you know, talking about how you tend to be a little bit more serious-minded, I think you know, law enforcement, federal or local, um, it can be heavy. It can really weigh on the soul. And, and if you have a more serious nature, or it can tend to have a more serious nature. I mean, that can really, um, that emphasizes it. So I think, yeah. Yeah. So jumping back though. So graduated and I don't remember how many, how close it was to graduation. So we graduated in May and um, I'm trying to remember when we got the notice. We got the notice in July, but in June, preemptively, you came up to Montana. No, no, no. Going back, when did we get the notice from the FBI that there was the hiring freeze? July. But we hadn't heard from them, so we started to get really nervous, and you were still in between jobs, and we had talked about... That's right. Okay. That, having a backup plan. At that point, we were like, well, we haven't heard anything, so maybe we should keep some op- options open. We had just graduated in May, and that June, um, you came up to Montana and did some testing for the consortium for the uh, for Montana law enforcement. That's right. Uh, local law enforcement. And then you came back July 3rd. You came back to Utah and we got the notice from the FBI later in July that they had a federal hiring freeze. And they had to pause slash rescind the job offer that... That we were so excited that, about. They, I mean, in, we were told originally that it was an 11-month hiring process yep. to work for the FBI. And so that November, we were like, okay, fasten our seatbelts. We'll graduate, get some temporary jobs. And we put all our eggs in that basket, yes, which we did. in hindsight was not smart, but yes, we did. But yeah, well, no, that's not fair because well, I, I applied, I did the math one time. I applied to over 150 jobs. That is insane. Yeah. It was a lot. So yes, eggs we'll, in we'll one make bas- this, yeah. we'll make this story short. So basically came up to Montana, tested, didn't get the job offer or got the job offer from the FBI Got it rescinded. What do we do now? Um, well, got, fortunately, you've done the testing. Fortunately, I've done the testing. Got a call from two police departments up in Montana. The reason Montana is Montana has this really cool program called the Law Enforcement Consortium. You go and you do one test, and then all the police departments that are hiring can look at those test scores and decide whether or not they want to interview you. So, so it's, it's like one-stop shop. Yeah, it's a pre-qualified pool of applicants, Yep, which is great. Yeah. So. And then they do the interviews, offer you the job, and then pay for you to go through the academy 
versus the other way around. In most states, you put yourself through the academy and then apply. And if you... Yeah. And it's expensive in a lot of places. Like we would have... I would have applied in Utah, but Utah, you have to put yourself through... And there's so, it's so competitive. There's so many people that I just, it wasn't, it was too big of a risk risk at that point, especially not knowing if the FBI was going to come back and make another offer. So anyway, so many unknowns at that point. Uh, where was I going with that? Oh, so, so several departments were interested in you. Two, two were, two were interested. Um, I had, no, I'm sorry. Three were interested, got interviews with two. One absolutely loved loved the uh, the leadership. They were so great. Um, I didn't get that offer, but wasn't sure we absolutely wanted to live there. So we were kind so of that worked out. So that kind of worked mm-hmm. out, and then got a job offer from Anna's hometown. In my hometown, what which, the heck? Which <laughs> we uh, it blew our minds. We're like, really, we're gonna move back to Anna's hometown like this is it I think it I was, was more shocked than you not that it are not that Helena was, was so we live in Helena Montana not that it's a bad place and it's a lovely place I've worked in tourism here come visit us but <laughs> if you want to have a have if you have any questions about traveling through Montana let Marcus know and he will let, pass it on to me but it's a lovely place but it just was you know surprising and I definitely have a strong wanderlust and I love exploring new cultures and places. And so for me, it was um, surprising to move home. And I was like thinking I wasn't ready to move back to my hometown yeah. as wonderful of a place as it is. Well, and I wasn't sure if I would like Montana, which is, is funny to say now, but at the time I just, I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so went through the police Academy, graduated, went through, field training and just for the sake of time I'll just say that I absolutely loved being a cop it was yeah. it was such a great job and the things I got to do were incredible and the people I got to work with were awesome I still have a lot of love and respect for for law enforcement and um it was a Marcus was a great officer it was a once in a lifetime opportunity finished uh, field testing or field training and, um, just had, uh, the best way to describe it is I had this overwhelming feeling that this is not what you're mm-hmm. supposed to do. And it was so hard and I fought it and fought it and fought it. And finally I just couldn't fight it anymore. And I, I met with my uh my lieutenant and um the assistant chief and we had some really some hard long talks and they were good talks and I have a lot of respect for those two men and we they they gave me some good advice and I just made the decision that you know if I feel this way now it's not fair to continue because what if I decide to step away in a year or two years if this isn't something that I can commit my all to, then it's not something I should be doing. Well, and not just that, but because there's a lot of us who are in jobs or careers where we're like, oh, this is this is not feeding my soul. If anything, it's, it's kind of crushing my soul every day, but I'm just going to put my head down and get through it. Not saying that you should do that, 
But there's a lot of jobs where, I mean, it's not a detriment to your health or anyone. Well, okay. Now I'm getting really deep. It could be a detriment to your health. But literally nobody is probably going, it's not a life or death situation if that's the case. Whereas in law enforcement, um, I mean, if you're having those strong feelings and and you feel like it's not a, the right fit and you, you don't feel like you can be in it, I mean, your guard can be down. Someone could get hurt. You could get hurt. Um, and I, I remember that ultimately being the a catalyst for you leaving the department. The department was thinking that you weren't going to be able to do the best job possible for them anyways, feeling the way that you felt. And so it could, was only fair to them. And, and I agree, like they, from the spouse side, they were so incredible. And I have huge respect for that entire department. And the way that they treated our family on the way out was just with so much love and um it's the law enforcement family is is full of a lot of love yeah Yeah. and it's great i still run into people not on the wrong side of the law (laughs) but i still run into to guys that i work with and always have great conversations and yeah it's uh it's good i it's something that i i think about every day and i you know i i miss a lot of aspects of that job, but I'm in a good spot now. So the more regular hours are really oh my nice gosh, on that, life. that is true. Cow. Although, man, there is something so cool about cruising the streets at three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> just like waiting you know, Marcus, for that call to come through. Okay, I was oh. gonna say you could go cruise the streets at three o'clock <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> just follow the cop cars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who is this creep tailing us? <laughs> So what I think is most interesting about your story is what happened after the yeah. police department. So what, where, where were you at mentally, emotionally, and what were those next steps that came? From, so this was, at this point, you guys, this was July 2014. So from July 14 to 2018, how did you get here? Well, I think... I think what needs to be understood is I had like put my whole heart and soul and focus into a law enforcement career. And that was mm, not just his degree. I mean, you were interning. He had a job with campus security. He was in campus police, campus police. He was um, interning with the city police department, city police department, building investigations, doing city citizens Academy. You were, I, I can't, how many, I, I'm remembering several dinners where we met with local law enforcement officers and FBI agents in the city that we were living. I mean, so you like that, that was it. I mean, that was the career yeah. ahead. So when that turned out to not be the <laughs> career ahead, I felt really lost. And we should add one more piece. Yes. Because for you to understand how truly devastated Marcus was and how, I mean, this was a lot of love, how broken you were. No, totally broken. I mean, because your, your world was shattered and and your, your vision and who you were, where you were going, all of those things were, it was shaken. Yeah. Um, you guys need to know. So July 13, July, 2013, um, was when the FBI rescinded the job offer, put it on pause, however you want to 
refer to that during their federal hiring freeze. That next January, so January 2014, Marcus started in the police academy. We were committed. He was committed to the that department, going through the academy, and it was a month and a half in to the academy. The FBI actually contacted us, contacted Marcus, and said, hey, the hiring freeze is off. We'd love to pick up your application where we left off. And at that point, we, ha- you had what? Like maybe two months left in the hiring. Well, actually, no. If we were eight months in, like three more months left. I mean, they had they had talked to everyone else in your personal life except for immediate family members. And the me. only thing they had to do was talk to my parents. They didn't talk to mine either. Our parents. So our parents. They had and talked me, to our parents. Did they talk to siblings? I think they had. Yeah. Yeah. So like we were down to the tiniest circle of people, and they came back a month and a half into the police academy and offered to pick up the application but at that point we were committed to the local police department well so i had a i had a conversation with them the the police department i said hey i just got this call like i just want you to know that i'm thinking about this because i wanted all the cards on the table i didn't want there to be any i didn't want there to be anything that would put any kind of negative light on this experience and so i um had that conversation and said hey just so you know i'm thinking about this and they obviously were not super (laughs) thrilled but they were understanding they said okay we'll just let us know as soon as possible yeah and what it came down to for me was that i just felt like to be a person of integrity i needed to honor my word that i had given like i was i was sworn in i was sworn in as an officer I mean, it was, it was one of those things where, um, I made a commitment and I was going to, going to stick with it. And I didn't feel like it would, I didn't feel like it would be something that I would be proud to look back and say that I had bailed when just because quote unquote, something better came along. I wanted to I wanted to honor my commitment and stick through. Even though FBI was the dream and was the original plan. Yeah, and now looking back, I mean that that was probably a huge decision cuz I mean I think it would have been harder for me to to walk away from the FBI not not so much because, you know, it's quote unquote better, but just because the hiring process is so intensive. Yeah. And and I don't know if I'm making sense here. There's just, I felt like it would have been harder to walk away from the FBI. You would have been more personally invested. Well, the, no, I no, think, I think probably because right. like you said, it was what I'd been planning on yeah, for my whole, yeah. yeah. So I think I probably just knowing myself would have stuck with the plan versus with the police department. It never was the plan. And while I felt very invested and I felt like, um, a connection, to the people and to the work, I think it was a little bit easier to to step away because it wasn't because it wasn't, it wasn't plan. plan A. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, so so fast forward to July. So now he's super depressed. <laughs> super and depressed. Well, he's turned like down conflict. the FBI. Now has left the police department. Yeah. Like, what is happening with my I, life? But I felt like a, a failure and didn't know what I was going to do with my a, life. It's a very sad time in the Marcus history. Had to take a job at Lowe's, which 
Oh my gosh. This podcast this, this is an, not sponsored by Lowe's. That was an <laughs> ugly, ugly period. But you know what that ugly period did? Is it propelled you into the woods. It did. Right? That was that first hunting season of our, our since we had moved to Montana, you um, had just started with Lowe's at the beginning of that hunting season. And that, to me, that was the beginning. Yeah, that was. And, I mean, I think, I don't think everything happens for a reason. I don't believe, I don't believe in fate. I don't believe that, you know, we're destined to do certain things. What I do believe is that you can take any circumstance and you can choose how to spin it for your good. And so what I really took away from Lowe's and what was great about working there (laughs) was my schedule was um, a rotating schedule. So I would have days off during the week and I found peace in the outdoors and in the mountains. And I went to the mountains and started, I started feeling my cup being filled um, again, which was something that I hadn't felt for many, many years. Um, I mean, I just felt drained after the, after that whole experience of, of law enforcement, not from, not from the the work, but just from the emotional, the, the emotional, Turmoil, um, yeah, of everything that happened. Yeah. And, and so being able to go and it was, it was incredible being outside. I felt whole and I felt, I felt like myself and I hadn't felt like myself for a long time. And I, I spent more time and more time. And then it's Montana. Everybody goes hunting and her brothers were excited to take me hunting for the first time. And I, and I thought, well, shoot, let's go hunting. Like yeah. I'm, I'm loving being outside and all of this and heck we can eat, we can eat what I get. <laughs> like, okay, you guys show me how to do this and I'll give it a try. And so, yeah, Lowe's was good for that. I was able with, with you and me and, and having kind of opposite schedules. I had days off where right. you where weren't I was around. Working. Yeah. And so I went and I hiked and hunted and it was, it was good. Yeah. So it was, that was good. Well, and the, it was that winter that Urban yeah. Country was born. Well, so <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous, but my the last year of school, so 2013, uh-huh. I remember being in the kitchen and saying to you, we're moving to Montana. I might take up hunting. Like, <laughs> I should probably document that. Like, how cool would that be? Like, I know nothing about hunting. I should document that. And you said to me, well, what would you call it? And I... Like, without even thinking about it, I said, urban to country. And I was like, <gasps> that was it. That was pure yes. ins- That was pure inspiration right there. And So maybe something does happen for a reason. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> So, but to your point, like, yes, it was really born that, that fall. Right. And when I started, you know, documenting it, I just started documenting it under the name of urban to country. And... You know, that name as I've, like, w- I, I did put some thought into it after that initial so flash what, of inspiration. So what does the urban to country mean to you? 
What yeah. does that name mean? So there's a couple layers to it as I've thought about it. The one layer is obviously representative of my journey from an urban life to a country life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you guys should know, we don't live on a farm. I mean, no. <laughs> but we have quick access to a lot of public lands. Um, we live in an incredible natural area. We're halfway between two national parks. We're, I mean, we're so beautifully situated here in Montana. Yeah. And that's, that's part of what that name means is you don't, you don't have to live in the country to live like this kind of urban to country, but it's this idea of getting out of these artificial environments into natural environments Mm, that, that that urban, that urbanized, urbanized lifestyle to break away from that and reconnect with who you really are and who you were really meant to be. Humans were not meant to live like sardines and cans. And that's the way we live. <laughs> like we pack ourselves into these tiny little spaces, as many people as we possibly can. And then we wonder why we're depressed and angry. And, you know, you, you go to, I went to New York last winter and I don't know how many times I got pushed off the sidewalk because, <laughs> well, shoot, I'm not going to move out of the way for this guy. So of course <laughs> the country kid has to like, excuse me, sir, let me step into the middle of the road and get hit by a taxi for you. <laughs> like, no wonder people are so angry. There's no room. There's no... See, w- w- Marcus and I are opposites. I grew up in Montana, so for me, I... I, I that about I, all the nature you can take. No, that's not <laughs> true. And I do find peace and refreshment and solace in, yeah. in natural environments, but I equally have a different experience when I, when I go to cities and for me, cities are really impactful and filling and And I like the perspective of seeing because I haven't grown up in cities. Right. Um, but I, I love that perspective of seeing just how vast and big our world is and, um, and how many people there are and how important it is to take care of one another. And yeah, anyways, I could go off on my own diatribe diatribe there, but so I get what you're saying. Even yeah. though I have a different perspective, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. So that's the one part of the name. The other part of the name is this inclusive idea. Like yeah. whether like from urban to country, like anybody can have these experiences and, and live this life that yeah. I'm getting to live. And the idea behind the documenting the story and of sharing all these things is to inspire people to try some of these things that they that they've maybe been closed off to or been too afraid to try and to also educate mm-hmm. people on things like wildlife conservation and why yes. why wilderness is important one thing that you have really educated me on even growing up in a hunting family i so I've been surrounded by hunting my whole life, but I, I don't hunt. Um, if you want more information on, or if you would like to hear us talking about a hunting relationship um, and partnership, we do have a video on YouTube, um, yep. Hunting and Relationships, where we discuss further, um, we get deeper about what it's like to be in a relationship as a non hunting spouse with a hunting spouse. And so go to YouTube, the urban and country channel on YouTube to check that out. But I might recycle that as a podcast too. Yeah. That Just, was a good I think the audio was, was really valuable. And yeah. so I may recycle that here Just as a, a podcast. pre headset conversation, but, yeah. um, where was I going with that? 
uh, educating. Oh, yeah. So even growing up with a hunting family um, and not being a hunter myself, I, you guys, I have a very sensitive soul. <laughs> I, I, it makes me really sad. Like, I do enjoy meat. I mean, I, this girl loves a good steak, but it makes me really sad that to think that something had to die for me to enjoy it. Right. And, and I don't have any interest in pulling the trigger and, you know, in this day and age where we can pick up meat at the grocery store, why do we need to kill something that lives so freely and happy in the forest? Like, it's like a magical fairy, except it's a deer. You know, it's okay to just leave it be and go, let's go be, let's go observe the natural beauty and just bird watch and animal watch. I mean, that's, that's my take. I would never, if I, well... I'm not going to say this on that podcast, but I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of weapons or killing things and, or people. And do I appreciate that Marcus does it in the most humane possible, humane way possible. And he's very respectful to the animals who sacrifice their lives for us. Like, yes, I, I really appreciate that. But, um, well, and it's interesting personally, not that I'm an anti-hunter, but I, I personally, I, f- I, I am overwhelmed by the majesty of, is that the right word that I'm looking for? Really just to how majestic animals are in our natural environment. And I don't want to disturb them. I mean, I just want to see them. But cows and pigs aren't majestic, so it's okay to eat those. Shut up. shut up. But you know what I mean? Like, I just, I, it's, for me, it's a different perspective. And so, um. Well, and not everybody can and should hunt. That's just, that's just a fact of life. It's, it's simple, um, logistics. It wouldn't be possible, but you don't have to hunt. You don't have to fish to enjoy this kind of urban to country lifestyle. Like you can backpack or camp or yeah that's true whatever gets you outside that's that's what's important that's true well and and to that i'll say so to finish my thought um so marcus has being with marcus on his journey has helped educate me to the science behind conservation um herd management what else am I thinking of? I mean, just the whole science behind it all, and which has helped me understand the reasons why um, different tags are given in different quantities and what seasons they're given. And and it's not just, you know, a killing spree of, here are tags, like, go forth and kill the wildlife. I mean, because that's some people's perspective, right? And that's not what it is. There is a science behind it. There is a forestry management plan, uh, along with a wildlife p- management plan. I mean, just which I had no idea about, right? And 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 that's coming from someone who grew up in Montana, who grew up with a hunting family and 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 partially I'm sure my family would have loved to educate me about that, but I just wasn't interested. So I think that's cool that you've become a voice for that, not just professionally um but personally through your urban country story. Yeah. Well, and and part of this journey that's been really interesting for me is I, I came into it later in life. I was 
in my late 20s. You were an old man. I was. <laughs> I was <kidding>. very old. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so I was able to come at it from a very cerebral uh, standpoint. I didn't just do it because that's what everybody else was doing. Or what your family Or what my did. family was yeah. doing. But, and and I, I guess I'll take that back. I kind of did it a little bit because that was what everyone else was doing. But I, but not really. But it was more I of put, a curiosity. Yeah, right? it was, I want to understand this. I want to, I want to try this out and see what it's all about. Yeah. Um, and, and so as I've gotten into it, I've really studied a lot and read a lot and asked a lot of questions and really wanted to understand one of my biggest pet peeves is waste and, and waste comes in all forms, whether that's wasted talent or wasting natural, like your resources, like leaving lights on or running water. Like Anna, I constantly am turning the water off. I seriously, I'll be like turning the faucet on just for a couple of seconds to get it nice and cold for water (laughs) and and I'll like turn turn and dry my hands and he'll turn off. I'm like, what are you doing? Uh, I'm trying to anyways. Yeah. So (laughs) waste, I, I don't, I don't like waste. And so as I started deciding whether or not I wanted to be a a hunter, Mm -hmm. I really wanted to make sure that there was not going to be a wasteful act. I wanted to make sure that I would use as much of the animal as possible. That We've replaced all of our sheets with fur. I'm just kidding. That would be (laughs) disgusting. (laughs) Well, my next next thing is... What are you doing? I just want a tan of hide. Oh, okay. That's cool. I I was imagining a big fur or something. Well, when I get my bear this spring... Right no. here, baby. You're going to kill Winnie the Pooh. I've never seen a yellow bear, <laughs> so I highly doubt it. Oh, you're going to kill Smokey. This is a whole nother, this is a whole nother topic. Now the people are going to be commenting on, uh, anyway. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said it. <laughs> you know what happened. I say it every time you say you want to take it. I know. I So where are we going with that? Uh, We're talking about your story. Yes. Where, why, why Urban to Country, which I feel like you've answered. Yep. Why the name? And if you want to really just see how far Marcus has come, not just in sharing his story, but um, in developing so many other talents along the way. I love looking at your, well, all of your channels, right? Your website has evolved with you and it's harder to see the old archives, but um, your YouTube video quality, your um, your Instagram quality, I mean, like your first post to what you're posting now, I mean, he's really, you're re- you've really become an incredible nature photographer and it's been fun to see those talents grow um, as you've been getting out and exploring and, and, and you're not just getting out and hiking and breathing in nature. You're doing that. You're also um, joining archery clubs and practicing and going to 3D archery shoots and going out and just turkey calling for the evening or turkey hunting and um, well, and, and you're maybe. photographing and you're podcasting. I mean, you're learning web development. I mean, this journey has brought you so many skills and has filled your life in so many ways beyond just yeah getting outdoors i mean it started with that but the whole 
journey well, has been so cool. There, and I don't, I'm going to butcher the saying, but there's a saying that essentially communicates that once you find your passion, the next, there's an evolution when you find your passion. You find your passion and then you become, you know, intensely involved in that passion. And then after a while, you want to start giving back because you appreciate so much mm, what like that, that passion has allowed for you. Yeah. Ooh. So like you with your, your ULA, like mm-hmm. you, you're a great advocate for women, you know, taking part in that. And I think that's because it's filled you and now you want it to fill other people. So with that being said, when Wait, I started... Where did you, do you want to add something? Yeah, quick pause. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know what Ula is. Oh gosh. Because you didn't say, it, some people think it sounds like hula. It is not hula. It is Ula. Um, like Missoula, Montana. So it's an aerobic dance class to Top 40s music. Choreographed, badass group of ladies, tribe, dancing, fun, screaming, sweating, having the time of your life. The end. Yes. And it's magical. <laughs> I'm regretting bringing it up. And I ula tonight, so I have lots of energy. <laughs> lots of good endorphins pumping through me. Well, that's why I wanted to do this tonight, because I know oh, you sh- would be, like, super peppy. You're like, I either need to get her a glass of rum or... <laughs> or get her after ula. Both have the same effect. <laughs> so, with that idea of giving back, I I started hunting and um, was having these incredible experiences and after a little bit, I wasn't content with just experiencing it for myself. I wanted to help other people. And I decided I wanted to work in the outdoor industry. And I mean outdoor industry, broadly speaking. Um, I didn't have any idea what that would look like. I didn't have any idea how to make that happen. So I started volunteering. Yeah. And I volunteered with the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation because I really believe in their mission and I freaking love elk. I am I am an elk nut for sure. We Just have a everything. beautiful watercolored elk on our bedroom wall. Yeah. And just everything about elk is I mean you know That's a majestic Anna animal knows, for you. Yes, yes, Anna knows if we see an elk Somewhere, yes, we are pulling er- over. Everything else goes out the window. And Doesn't the matter. Camera is coming out. Yeah. So anyway, I uh, really believe in Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. You guys should go volunteer with them. Um, they are a great group of people and do a lot of good work. And yeah, we'll talk about them more later. And the other group was this little nonprofit in Montana called the Montana Wildlife Federation, and. I honestly was just looking for for any way to get involved and help and volunteer. And, um, well, I'm oversimplifying this. So I decided I wanted to work in the outdoor industry. The Montana Wildlife Federation was hiring. And so, heck, I'll apply. Like, what's the worst that can happen? They can say no. And that's what they did. They said no. <laughs> well, and you, you applied, talking about jobs that you've applied for, you applied, I think, for every conservation group. I did. In the area. Yep. And everyone, I mean, you not that you I weren't. I didn't have any experience. You, well, you had all the, you, 
you didn't have conservation experience. You know. had the most incredible law enforcement experience <laughs> ever. It, Your resume. Most most <laughs> of the people didn't didn't reply, but I do remember I had one person reply. It's like you've had a diverse experience <laughs> in life, haven't you? <laughs> yes, yes, you I have. Say that again. Well, and at this point, I finally got away from Lowe's. <laughs> And I was working for the state of Montana in their education department doing outreach. And actually, funny enough, I took that job specifically because I was like thinking about what I wanted to do in the outdoors and conservation. I was like, you know what? Outreach is kind of this broad umbrella experience skill set that would apply to a lot of these jobs that I'm seeing being posted by outdoor and and conservation groups. So I'm going to find a job in outreach that will help me build my skills. That help me build my skills. Yeah. And so. Skills to pay them bills. Skills, skills to pay them bills. Shout out to Sean. <laughs> Shannon. And Shannon. Sorry, Shannon. And so I, uh, yeah. So I was working for the state, applying for all these jobs, uh, volunteering with RMEF. Montana Wildlife said, eh, thank you, but no thank you. And I was like, Okay. You did not say no to them. They could not get rid of you. You were just well, the no. world's best volunteer. So Dave called me back a day after I got the the email saying that I hadn't been selected. And he said, hey, um, really like talking to you during your interview. Um, would you like to volunteer for us? And my first reaction, I don't think I've ever told him this, but my first reaction was, heck no, screw you. You didn't <laughs> want to hire me. I'm not volunteering for you. <laughs> But I I tapped that all down and humbled myself and I said I would love to. <laughs> Famous last words. Yep. And so I started doing some social media stuff for them. Anything. Yeah. I mean you were I remember that phase and I'm there were maybe some days where I was not the most supportive partner where like literally it felt like Marcus was working two jobs because anything like you were, that was when you really started to get involved for the first time in the techno hunt, in the local archery group, you were, um, I was hustling. You were volunteering with, um, several or those two organizations. And when we say volunteering, like Marcus wasn't just like, you know, casually attending the meetings. No, I showed up my I, first RMEF meeting and they said, like, first of all, everybody was kind of confused about who I was. And then by the end of it, I was, like, handling You had, like, three PR, assignments. Yeah. yeah. And for the, showing for the up at events, taking photos and social media and yeah. doing collections. I mean, you, like, you hustled your buns. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. And that was the thing was I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It it filled me. And it was really exciting. And so it wasn't didn't feel like work. but. Yeah. So anyway, fast forward to Last a year ago. Yeah. Um I got it or I saw that Montana Wildlife was hiring again and I called up executive director Dave Chadwick and said, Hey, I'm applying for that job and he said, Well, that's cool, but I think you ought to apply for this job and um Oh, I had they, forgotten that happened. Yeah, they were going to be putting out another job um, posting. And so I applied for it like everybody else. And it was it was more of what I wanted yeah. than the other well, one. Well, and they had just put you on the board of directors, too. Oh, yeah. So I was on the board of directors. <laughs> and then a month later, they had a job open. Yeah. Yeah. And so I uh, applied. 
and it was very stressful because I didn't know who else was applying and what the chances were going to be. I remember that. And I got a call at work one day, and it was the best phone call. Well, one of the best phone calls I've ever got. And so now for about the last year, I've worked as the Central Montana Field Rep for the Montana Wildlife Federation. We do conservation centered around habitat, wildlife, and public access. And I absolutely love my job. <laughs> it is it is awesome. And it, it definitely allows me to keep doing urban to country and pursuing all the things I'm passionate about. But I get to do it not only in my free time, but I also get to, um, in my 9 to 5, pursue those passions as well, which is pretty exciting. Um that's awesome. I it's, cannot believe it's, it's been a year. It Honestly, it feels like it's been more than a year because <laughs> it's been such a positive. Not in that it's felt so long. But oh, I got you. I, I mean, you seem like someone who's been at your job for much longer than a year. And you, you're so committed to it. And, and Marcus's job is sweet. He gets to travel throughout the entire central region of Montana, which... I mean, Montana, we are the fourth largest state in the nation. So divided by three and divided in thirds, cut out the middle section. And Marcus gets to reach out to sportsmen's groups across that area. That's way cool. Yeah, and in my region, we have the Rocky Mountain Front. We have the Missouri River. The Missouri River breaks National Monument. Um, The Madison Valley. Madison Valley. I mean, there's all, oh, there's yeah. like these beautiful, iconic Bozeman, Montana, Montana falls in my Bozeman, Ennis, Montana, Virginia city. There's Havard. a lot of cool, a lot of cool things. Great so Falls, yeah, Shoto, Augusta. I, could, I could talk all about my we job for hours, but it's a sweet going. job. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about the podcast a little bit just to let people know what they can expect when they tune into one of these things besides conversations with anna and marcus oh my gosh (laughs) you keep this up i may not have you back on doesn't that sound like parks and rec yeah it did it sounded like the npr (laughs) (laughs) today we're gonna listen to dogs playing the cello dogs playing the cello okay now we've gotten weird um (laughs) so the podcast what's new the podcast (laughs) is going to be um a collection of really fascinating people. We've got uh, a bunch recorded already from, you know, some really fascinating people from the outdoor space, all different kinds of life experience. Um, and I think that, that there are people that you may not connect with otherwise. And that's kind of... What do you mean connect with? Like you... They're not they're not gonna be super flashy on social media. Oh, okay. They're not gonna be on T V. They're um They're gonna be people that you might not yeah, see making an impact, but who are making an impact. Yeah, and just people that that uh I'm connecting with in my personal life. Don't get me wrong, like I would love to interview some, you know, more well known people, but that's not who runs in my circles right now. So you're going to get to meet a lot of people that run in my circles that are passionate outdoors men and women and who really contribute a lot to this outdoor space. And we're going to try to share some knowledge and have good conversations. Yeah, it's going to be, it's fun. They're already, it's already been a lot of fun. Um, so yeah. look, 
look for those and Keep your be excited. Eyes peeled. Yeah. Uh the the structure is going to be pretty free flowing like this. I don't want it to be like Yeah, guys. This was to... not scripted today in case you <laughs> couldn't tell by the 10,000 squirrels. Oh man. <laughs> but I like I like uh, listening to podcasts that are conversations. Right. Um I feel like I learn a lot from them. They're easy to listen to. It feels natural, right? It does. Like, it's awkward when you listen to one that's scripted and you're like, you are clearly reading off of something right now. Well, and... Which isn't bad. No, it's not bad. But I've listened to some, too, where it's like, they get to an hour and it's like, oh, we're done. We've hit our hour. And I'm like, no, like, you're just getting... getting, (laughs) You just peeled the layer. Yeah. I just... I want to share these real conversations, so... I have some questions for you oh, as no. we wrap up. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up here real quick? Um, Really, I just want to acknowledge you for the space that you're creating again. I think it's so cool that you're making this happen. Like, way to, way to manifest the hell out of your life, Marcus Strange. Like, and way to make it happen and way to hustle. I mean, there have been a lot of naysayers and... Yeah, okay, I, I'm not anybody important, but I already get hate, which is ridiculous well, to me. Well, I, and I'm not even saying just to others. Like, even, you guys, I'm not a perfect spouse. I'm not a perfect partner. And there were what? times, I know, there were times where I was like, you're going to do what? And and I, this is not a podcast about me, but, like, you know, I'm I'm my journey is trying to figure out how to do things and not give a what people think and and just own my space and so with that I want to acknowledge you for owning your space and and in those moments of even my my doubt um of saying no I can do this and and you've proven to me over and over again that um if if it's that you can make it happen you know you've proven that to me over and over again so yeah, I want to acknowledge you for that. Thanks, babe. Yeah. All right. So one thing I will do consistently at the end of these podcasts is I'm going to have some questions for the guests, and they are, um, they're just on the spot questions. There's no prepping. I don't give them to people ahead of time. Oh dear. And so you're going to get the answer just as it comes. Should I tell you what first comes in my head, or should I filter? Well, try to keep the swearing down. <laughs> I've been so good. No. Oh, that's another thing. I will try to keep this podcast non-explicit, but I also don't want to censor people. So we're going to do our best with that. But, yeah. So if you can keep it down. This it means... I should hit this n- my strain of profanity <laughs> <laughs> right now well, at this, this is, moment. This is what I told somebody. I said, you just talk however you want to talk. Okay. And I will worry about editing it later. Okay. So if that means I need to go back through. Marcus has now edited out 15 F-bombs in this <laughs> episode from me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, I want it to be natural. So no, I got yeah, you. So just give I'll the answers you. however you would. Okay. All right. Hit me with them. I'm prepared. What is the name of your autobiography? Holy hell. That's the name of your autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Maybe it would be. It's one of my favorite phrases. I right. I yeah. say it all the time. Like that's my go-to, and I say it as like a if I'm pissed or if I'm surprised, like or or overwhelmed, whatever, um, or happy or like uh, either that or I I kind of like holy hell. I mean, 
I just, I, it's kind of sassy, which is me and yep. Okay. Holy hell. Sweet. (laughs) What's something you're hoping to learn about? I really want to learn how to play the ukulele. Hmm. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I also really want to learn how to weave. So that's, and I really want to learn more about my heritage and my DNA and my health and that I could keep going. There's a lot of things I want to learn right now. Yeah. My dad was adopted. And so, um, he just did a 23 and me, which is so cool to me. And I now want to do my own. So that's what I mean when I say, I want they have to them at your about. local Walgreens and target. <laughs> I just really? saw this on okay. the news. <laughs> so that's what I mean when I say I want to learn about my heritage and DNA. Like I'm not just being weird about it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what's something that you're really excited about right now? Oh, well, I've just made a big job change in my life. Um, I'm, I've just transitioned from the tourism industry to a a new nonprofit where I am working to preserve, um, Montana's history. I'm working with a foundation that does grant work for historic preservation projects across the state of Montana. Um, but that is exciting, but Additionally exciting is that this new position is um, part-time, giving me some time to explore some entrepreneurial pursuits that I haven't had time to do, um, coming from a really overwhelming position at a really demanding organization where I was a salaried employee. And so that, to me, is really exciting, as well as travels ahead. So. When are you not excited about travels? Oh, my gosh. Um, all right. Last question. You've seen the movie Jeremiah Johnson? Yes, I where, have. Where Jeremiah finds Hatchet Jack frozen in the snow, and he's written a note that essentially says, I shot the bear that got me. And that's his final final message to the world and in that that note he says also that he wants <laughs> whoever finds the rifle his rifle to take the rifle and that's like the pivotal tur- that's like the turning point in the movie where jeremiah like truly becomes a mountain man is when he gets his hands on that rifle mm. so my question for you oh, no. is if you were mauled by a bear and you're laying there and you can write one message to the world what would that message be? My message to the world would be that there, you, that you'll never regret giving more love. I like that. You'll never regret giving more love. If that's in a smile, if that's in a kind thought, and a piece yeah. of gratitude, and um, you'll never regret doing a kind act. No, no, and and one of my favorite quotes is uh, "Never suppress a generous thought." Because, you know, we all we all have so much shit going on in our heads and in our lives and, and hard things. And you have no idea what someone is really going through. And, and I think there just needs to be so much more love and understanding. I love that. Yeah. Well, you beat me to this, but I wanted to acknowledge you hmm. for, as I said earlier, being an incredibly supportive partner and for... Um, helping me make this happen. Mm. Really appreciate it. You are a great facilitator to the greatness of other people. 
and you really you. Uh, give a lot back to your world, which is incredible and which we shall all strive and aspire to, to do as well. Thank so you, this is the end guys. First urban to country podcast. Da, 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 da. <laughs> oh my gosh. Urban to country. <laughs> I think we'll end on that note. <laughs> See y'all later. Bye. Bye. All right, friends, another podcast is in the books. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. The music for this episode was Until the End by Pansky. You can find more great music from our buddy Pansky by following the links in the show notes. For more great content, connect with Urban to Country on social media or on our website, urbantocountry.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, and leave us a review. Your feedback helps us as we develop content for future episodes. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, make life epic.